Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going into Revelation chapter number 12. And as far as we can get, we're going to be looking at the timeline of all of history tucked away in this one singular chapter. It's pretty exciting, and it takes a long time to get through, so let's get started. Father, we are grateful for the blessing of this time that we have together to be able to go through all of time from the beginning that you have prepared for us to the end that you shall finish us, Lord. We understand that uh, Jesus reigns. We thank you and praise you this day that we may be able to see this truth come to light in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, if you head over to Revelation chapter number 12, Beginning verse 1 and 2, we're going to see the very beginning of all things. We're going to see that which was written in Genesis, and we're going to see how it is fulfilled. Now, the scripture says at this point, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now, this particular woman is recognized from Eve at, at her beginnings in Genesis chapter number 3, as we know that when the, the fruit was eaten and the fall had come, that in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15, that it was promised that a seed would come from the woman that would bruise the head of that serpent, crush his head. We understand that that serpent was going to bruise his heel. Now, that woman coming forth unto fruition is recognized in, in Jacob, actually, when the beginnings that Jacob's name would be changed to Israel and that the, the sons of Jacob would be, become the nation of Israel and God would, would honor and recognize the, this nation as his bride, as revealed in, in the book of Jeremiah that God would recognize this beautiful nation as his bride and that he would adorn her and that he would he would treasure her, in which case you'll find the woman herself, which is clothed with the sun and the moon that's under her feet. We understand that the, the importance of the, the positioning of Israel is recognized where it is and where God's people are in the Middle East, in Jerusalem specifically, which... Oddly enough, if you get an aerial view of Jerusalem, you will see that the the valleys that make up the 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 whole of that area of Jerusalem make the letter Sheen, which is known as the letter of God. Uh, and and God said, "I am an all-consuming fire." And note the fact that that is the word Esh, and it comes from the root of the letter. Sheen, and that is what represents God. So the landscape of Jerusalem, with its valleys and its hills, the landscape of the of the the whole area of Jerusalem is recognized as where God has placed His name in that letter of Sheen. And so it's really neat to understand that that she's literally this woman is literally the center of god's affection the center of god's attention as the sun would be above you and the moon would be beneath you you would be literally right in the middle uh, that god would would be considering you and in that moment and it says that the the garland or the crown that she's wearing or the tiaras would be with the princess or the queen that we're dealing with here 
with 12 stars. And the recognition, of course, of those 12 stars, the star being very similar to uh, the stars of the churches that you saw back in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with the seven stars that were in the right hand of the Lord, understanding that those were the the principal churches, that was the, the principal uh, uh, apostles, or, or as would be the seven churches of Revelation. So these stars represent those tribes, those, those tribes of Israel, this nation. And, and very important as concerning the, the connection that is, that is made there. And then, of course, we know out of Israel, in specific, the tribe of, of there in Bethlehem and the tribe of Judah is going to be where the Messiah is going to be born and is recognized that then being with child. So the, the nation of Israel is, is always been of the, the special purpose of bringing forth Messiah into the world. And she was with child for those centuries and millennia that, that uh, from the fall in Genesis chapter 3 unto the fruition of the promise coming to pass. And, and, of course, the, the Gospel of Luke and, and the Gospel of Matthew, we really get to see an opportunity of, of Jesus uh, and his birth. And it comes through the tribe of Judah. It says, Then being with child, in verse 2, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And then all of the, the times of slavery that God would bring Israel into to refine Israel and to to punish Israel and at times because of their waywardness and 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 their their you know how they they disagreed with God or they fought against God rebelled against him and so he would bring them under under slavery he would bring them into punishment as a father would bring a child into punishment for rebelling against them but God never turned his back on them he never gave up on them. And it goes on to tell us that another sign appeared in heaven. He says, Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now the diadems recognized as the gems or the crowns that he would have on his heads. And it says his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, we see this first great sign, and it's recognized as Israel, is recognized as this woman that's clothed with sun. The, the point of the sign is, is something that is pointing out the reality of the thing. It's kind of like when, when we were driving from Virginia, and we're, we're driving to North Dakota, you've got a lot of signs on the side of the road. And they're pointing out realities. They themselves are not the reality, but they're pointing out the reality, such as, such as you know, whiz dells are coming up in, in 49 miles. Well, we know that that sign is not the location of the Wisconsin dells. We, we know that in 49 miles, we're going to reach the location or the area of, of the Wisconsin dells, which is a beautiful area in Wisconsin to go to. So... Nevertheless, you understand that the sign is not the thing, but is pointing to the reality of the thing. And here we have a sign that, that is pointing to the reality of Israel and who she is. And, and we've got a sign that shows us that Israel's going to bring forth Messiah. But now we've got another sign 
that shows us the opposition to to the Messiah's coming and the opposition to God is that red dragon. Now, as the dragon is recognized, he has seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Well, the reality of that is, is that in in the seven heads, is not that this is a literal dragon that literally has seven heads, like a, a seven-headed hydra instead of a five-headed hydra or a three-headed hydra. It's not the case. What these heads represent is land masses, because we understand that under this dragon, this dragon has a goal, and the third part of his well, his tail drew that third part of the stars of heaven. Those stars, in this case, of verse 4, as this is a sign, are, are people, are, are those angels. So the reason why you keep hearing me say, well, a third part of heaven fell, is because it's recognized right here in Revelation 12. We're, we're able to see through Revelation 12 a lot of the things that would transpire between our Genesis chapters number two and three, we get we get to see a lot of the issues that had transpired uh, of the war in heaven, of the casting out of Satan, of the temptation of man by Satan because of being cast out and and, and trying to draw mankind away from God, creating that same avenue of rebellion. In, in man as the, Satan has within himself so as to be a ruler over the rebellious and, and keeping us from the hope that we have in eternal life in Christ. And so this is very important for us to understand that this, this old red dragon, he, he has seven heads. Now the definition of the seven heads, which you're going to see come out in Revelation chapter number 13, Note Revelation chapter number 17 as well. 13 maybe, but 17 certainly. Is that those seven heads are the seven continents that we have on the earth that are going to be divided into two major sections called Gog and Magog, the eastern kingdoms and the western kingdoms. So on, on he has seven heads. It's recognized as seven land masses or seven continents on the earth. Now, the ten horns represent ten kingdoms as revealed in in the the book of Daniel as well as later on we're going to see this in more detail coming up in the, in the future chapters but he he has ten horns the horn in in Hebrew but also the horn throughout the bible like the horns of the altar is recognizing a position of strength it's recognize recognizing a position of power so those ten horns that are on top of the seven heads, those horns recognize kingdoms. Now, as you have a division between two separations, an eastern side of a kingdom and a western side of a kingdom to, to rule over the whole globe, then you have ten principal leaders. So those two sections, Gog and Magog, will be divided up into five uh, sections each five kingdoms each and those horns are going to be the principal leaders that that are going to be under the the authority of the antichrist and so they're going to be principal leaders those 10 horns and you'll find that seven diadems or seven crowns are on his head now this is spelled out very clearly in in Daniel 
the book of Daniel, in chapter number 7, you see that there were ten horns, but then a little horn rose up and knocked three horns down. In which case, at the initial onset of the kingdom, you're going to have ten horns, but once the kingdom is established, three of the horns will be taken out. And the little horn, which is making a great deal of noise, being the Antichrist, is going to rise up over those three, so that there will be seven crowns, but ten ten positions of authority and only seven crowns to be worn which shows you the hierarchy system that will exist in the antichrist kingdom which is really cool and and so you see that in order to have an army in order to have backup of course the the war that you're about to see takes place in heaven uh, is something where you will you will realize that Satan gathers an army unto himself with his tail uh, recognized as that which is like the serpent which twists and and, and and ties around people. It's kind of seen that tail is kind of seen like uh, a boa constrictor, how it wraps around you and then you're caught in its grip and there's no way to, to get away. And every time you breathe out, it squeezes even tighter just to be able to crush you. This is the way of the tail of Satan. And he, he wraps around a third of the stars of heaven and drew them uh, to himself and then threw them to earth. So what you find is, is that Satan in his plan to overthrow God had had amassed a coup attempt by by these angels that he would get sighted onto his side and and then he would he would literally try to overthrow the very creator that made him by the way it isn't going to work out very well for him <laughs> so it comes down in recognition to this, and it says that the dragon stood before the woman in verse number four, who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So that we know that, that Satan has always been standing right in front of that woman. Rather, it would be the nation of the Philistines or the nation of the Amorites or the Hivites or the Jebusites or the Hittites. It doesn't matter. The Edomites it doesn't matter. Satan, as represented in these tribes that would constantly be looking for the way in which they could overthrow Israel, just just insane. Amorites under King Balak, which, which would be paying a prophet Balaam just to curse Israel so that they could overthrow them because their fear was that what had just happened to, to the, the, the tribes that, that Israel had just overcome as they were moving in that we covered on Sunday, uh, the Sunday service this week, and, and what had been done in the overthrow as God had granted them their enemy into their hand, uh, Balak was so scared that they were going to just come in and take over their land as well that, that he tried to curse them so he could destroy them. And so we understand that the challenges that exist, and this is the way in which Satan works, is he twists the information, he twists the way that we think, and he, he twisted a third of those stars that followed after him, and and so he's constantly twisting the nations around Israel to cause them to hate Israel, to destroy Israel. His grand design is, is to conquer the people who are supposed to bring the Messiah into the world. And Satan knows the, the plan of God much more and much better than any of us do. 
Satan was there when the plan of God was was coming to pass. Now, Satan didn't know the 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 ultimate plan of God. He wasn't created when the agreement was made. Elsewise, he would have known that he couldn't have defeated Jesus at all. But Satan didn't know that that Jesus be the Lamb of God, and Satan didn't know there certain aspects of his defeat, but Satan knew that a defeat was coming. He knew that a plan was made. He knew that that the only way to to end this plan is to corrupt the the principal man that God had made. So he corrupted he corrupted Adam, and when that caused man to fall into perdition, when it caused man to fall into corruption, and and the gates of hell that were created only for Satan and those third part of the angels that fell became open to man because of the choice of his rebellion that Satan rejoiced until he discovered that that it didn't stop anything, that it didn't hinder anything, that things just kept going on. So he knew that, that the prophecies that would be spoken by the prophets and the prophecies that would be revealed, that, that there's coming another child. That, that one man was not the answer, but there was an answer that was to come. So he constantly hunted Israel. He constantly sought for her destruction so that he could keep the promise of God from coming to pass in the Messiah being born. And thus, we see a, he's there always at her heels waiting to devour her child as soon as it would be born. And indeed, uh, that was true when it, when it come to Moses and they, they had the, uh, in Egypt, they had the destruction of the, the firstborn males. Did you recall the edict of Pharaoh? And, and they put Moses in the bulrush basket and sent him down the river Nile. Uh, you recall that, that when Jesus was, was coming to be born, actually they believed that he was coming to be born. He was, he was already two years old, but they believed that he was going to be born. That was the time frame that they thought it was going to come to pass, that, that Herod had instituted the same thing that Pharaoh did, and, and he was slaughtering the, the firstborn and those women that were pregnant in the area from Bethlehem all the way down to, to the border with Egypt. He was killing all of the children just so that he could eliminate a, a future king and that kind of threat. And so we understand that Satan was truly waiting to devour that child as soon as it was born, but he missed. Verse number five. So by the way, in the first four verses of, of the scripture that we have before us, we have a timeline that, that literally shows from Genesis chapter number three clear up to uh, the birth of Christ. And so it shows, verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with rod of iron. It's very important to understand the way in which Jesus is going to rule the nations. And Revelation chapter 20 is recognized as the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ, is that uh, we've got this idea that Jesus is going to be a squishy fellow. We've, we've got this idea that Jesus is going to be uh, just love, 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 and soft and, and cuddly, and, and, and he's beautiful frame with his long hair, and he's just so precious. Amen. But that's not the case at all. Uh, the scripture reveals that the king of kings as being one who is going to rule with a rod of iron. Now, iron in the scripture is representative of power, and it's representative of authority, and, and it shows you that, that iron is, is a no-nonsense approach. He's going to rule 
uh, much like it showed with with um, the legs of of the statue that that um, Daniel saw. It was he he was translating it to to Nebuchadnezzar. The legs of that that statue were iron. And then when you got to the feet, it was iron mixed with clay. And of course, this kingdom that we're talking about of the Antichrist in the time of the tribulation is that kingdom of the feet, which is the iron mixed with clay, which is a weak kingdom. Not in that the iron is weak, but when you mix that iron with the clay, it doesn't have the ability to set up the strength that is necessary because the clay just constantly crumbles and falls apart. But when you look at the nation of Rome, when you look at the kingdom of Rome for throughout its several hundred years existence, it was the most powerful nation in the world. And in fact, a lot of, a lot of the nations in the world today operate off of a Roman calendar. They operate off of a Roman week. They operate off of a Roman, uh, Roman systems of counting and Roman numerals, as it was. They, they, there's so much of Rome that still to this day is infiltrated into all of our societies in, in that we can say that, it, yes, it was a nation of iron for it was resolute and it was unbending and it was, it was a very powerful, authoritative nation. But this is exactly the way that we see Jesus is going to rule the nations is with a rod of iron. It isn't going to be uh, the the allowances like what we have in the United States. It isn't going to be a democracy. It, it's going to be a theocracy. It's going to be Jesus, the King of Kings, and and that's it. There's not going to be a panel of advisors. God doesn't need advice. It's he's not going to need a, a group of of elders that would call the shots alongside of him or help him know how to call the shots. He's God. He's got this covered. So it's very important to understand the kingdom that is coming and the ruler that is going to rule. And her child, as was revealed, was caught up. Now that, that phrase right there, caught up, let's take a look at that because I want you to understand something about that phrase. That child was caught up. Now, this is a really neat uh, phrase. It's, it's the word in Greek, harpazo. Harpazo is this word in Greek, and it, and it represents to seize or to pluck or take by force. And so this word caught up is also the, the concept that we, we get from, oh, let me get this word back and see, the derivative that, that is revealed in that word, the derivative that is found in that word is, let me go to my dictionaries at this point, so harpazo, but the derivative of this is found in the word that we would get that would say raptus, or raptus, and that is a really exciting word because that's the one that we come up come to with rapture so very important points that are being made here is that this being caught up that you see here to god is the very same thing that john would testify to in revelation chapter 4 he said a voice from heaven came and spoke to me and said come up come up here and immediately i was in the spirit he said and i was at the throne room of god and that 
That is the very nature of being caught up or plucked or pulled or snatched by force even. And a lot of us, when we consider the rapture, we're just not going to be ready for it because it's going to be an event that literally snatches us off this earth. It's, it, it's going to happen with such a force. We're going to be taken by such a force in that moment that, that though we're rejoicing, though we're, we're prepared to go, it's going to hit us and, and we're going to be here and then we're going to be there and we're not going to know what happened in the transition. And it might take us a second or five or ten or a minute to focus on what the world just took place because uh, we're just not going to be prepared for that. And that's a reality that, that we have to face. And so the good Lord, good Lord willing, uh, you're prepared. You you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've surrendered your heart to Him. You you you've confessed your sin and and are in a state of repentance as a life, so that you you can be certain of your salvation to be ready to go. For God will not cut loose the child that He has saved and adopted and made His own. But certainly, if you're just playing religion, you ain't going. The scripture reveals again, as I was talking about, and, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Of course, we understand that, that Jesus was indeed caught up and in in that he, after the third day, rose and that he went up to, to deliver all of paradise or that place of Abraham's bosom or that, that place that would be located across the gulf from hell and that they were not in the torments of suffering in hell, but that they were, they were not allowed to entrance into heaven because the blood of Jesus had not been shed uh, to be able to cover the, the, the price of their entrance yet. So God protected them, but he didn't receive them until after the resurrection of Christ. And so we find Adam all the way up to, to the, the man, the thief on the cross that was promised this day you'll be with me in paradise. They were delivered unto heaven by Jesus, leading the, captive, the captivity captive unto Christ. He took them with him and then returned. And he dwelt with his disciples and the apostles for, for 40 days after his resurrection, revealed in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and that Jesus was even seen above 500 of the brethren at the time of the writing of, of the book of Corinthians, and that he said many of them are, are still alive today. Go ask them. So that's important. We understand that the events of Jesus' life and the things that we have of our, of our New Testament and our Old Testament are actual factual life events and, and people and places that had taken place because it was verifiable and is verifiable to, to witness account. And it says, the woman, then the woman, of course we understand that the scattering that took place of Israel, and we understand the promise of God revealed in Ezekiel, that uh, chapter number three, that there would always be a tuft of hair. There will always be a remnant of the children of Israel. And of course, during the time of the tribulation of Revelation we're talking about, that remnant would be recognized in the 144,000 that are sealed by God in their foreheads with his name. Said, then the woman, this be Israel, fled into the wilderness, which is the dispersion of Israel, 
uh, by the persecutions that would come from all of the nations that would be hunting her even after the birth of Christ. In, in 70 AD, of course, with Emperor Nero, we understand that the, the temple would be razed to the ground and destroyed every last bit. And that from that time to, to this, that Israel has not really had the opportunity to be able to claim a land of its own, that God in his pr promise and fulfillment of prophecy would cause this land to be a desolation, in which case it has been. And even though in 1948, the United States and, and the allied powers would, would ultimately bring to pass an opportunity for Israel to be recognized among the nations of man, as a sovereign state once more and as its own nation, even at that, which of course many of the Palestinian nations around Israel refuse to this day to accept that and constantly are at war against them to try and overtake the land so that they want it for themselves, that doesn't mean that God recognized Israel as his own nation again. And God has a plan. God has... Uh, his time that he is going to restore his people, but it wasn't 1948. The recognition of that is in the fact that the people have constantly had to fight to even maintain their own language. They've had to fight to maintain their own status. They've never been able to be settled. When God uh, recognizes you as a nation once more, no one's going to be able to stand against you, period because that promise is going to come at the end of all things when you come into Revelation chapter number 21 and 22, where, where the old covenant of Israel is going to receive of the land that is flowing with milk and honey as they are promised on a brand new heaven and a brand new earth with a brand new heart that, that God has given unto them through, through the time that they enter into judgment and that, that their judgment be sealed and secured, they will, will be great. They will be the sheep that will be on the right hand of God, whereas the, 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 the um, dead, both small and great, will be the, the goats that are recognized in Matthew 25. And by the way, Matthew 25 is dealing with the, the white throne judgment, but it's not dealing with the judgment of the church. It's dealing with the judgment of the dead and the, the judgment that will come upon the, the old covenant of Israel. For in that day, uh, when, when Jesus is set upon the throne, the church will already be with him, <coughs> and so that the, the sheep will be recognized as the old covenant of Israel that is separated from the tares, which would be recognized as everyone else during that time of tribulation so that the martyred saints will not be there because they're already in the temple of God serving day and night and the church will be with Jesus where he's at because the rapture has already taken place and their judgment's already secure. So what's seen in Matthew 25 and what's revealed in, in Revelation 20 is that white throne judgment that, that finalizes the, the issue of what is Old Covenant Israel and the recognition of, of those guys being secured in Christ uh, by the promise of God and the destruction of the rest of the, the world and Gentile nations that were pagan and, and following after that old devil. And that's what Revelation 12 is making known as well. And so the, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,260 days, recognized in three and a half years. 
uh, of those days so that we find that that at the great tribulation time that God is going to make provision for Israel, that 144,000, they will be secure. They will have provision made at a time when if you don't have the mark of the beast on you that you can't buy, sell, and trade, God will still make a provision for his people and protect them in his sanctuary. You'll see in Revelation chapter number 14 where the lamb is, is on the hill uh, with the 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 144,000. So that's pretty important to understand that God is going to make a way, that God is going to protect his people for the last three and a half years, which is known as the Great Tribulation, which is when all of the nightmares of heaven break loose upon the earth at that point. Now, what we find in in a regress of of what we had just seen so from verses 1 to 6 we have the entire overview of of not only the creation but also the great battle that happens between God's plan and Satan's plan and the fact that Satan loses because his plan stinks and it shows us in verse number 7 that war broke out in heaven now this is at a point uh, before for or, or just after you have creation. So you've got a situation where we know that when Adam is removed from the Garden of Eden, that he is 130 years old. And from the point of his generation, from his creation, of course, that's day zero. And so there, there is within the scope of years of created time on earth, which, by the way, does not impact things that are happening in heaven, for that is in a realm of infinite, which we have no ability to wrap our minds around. But in that period of 130 years, when God has this intimacy of fellowship with man and, and that, that Satan would being a created being during that period of time, of course, being watching this relationship and building up a desire to be able to have that control, that authority, and that 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 worship of man, he he seeks to overthrow God from his throne so that he can sit that throne and he can be their God and he can rule over man. So the third part that that sided with Satan as the war broke out in heaven, you understand that even though this is this is made out to be a war, it's not a really big war. As you can see in verse 8, they did not prevail. And because they did not prevail, there was not a place found for them in heaven any longer. It's obvious that you're not going to keep mutineers on board. You know, if you have a mutiny on, on the vessel, then the principal leader of the mutiny and all of the the hands that would side with the mutineer are going to have to be cast off the ship. You can't keep that that presence of of potential desire for, for ruler or desire for overthrow. You can't keep that on the ship. It will taint and corrupt all the other people if you let it stay. And so you understand that when war broke out in heaven, that it was because there was a desire to be in the position of God. But what we see here is that uh, Michael and his angels, so we see the two heavenly creatures that were were standing opposed to each other. So Michael is recognized as the saint of Israel, and, 
and Gabriel is right-hand man who makes the messages happen to, to Mary, who makes the messages happen to Joseph. You see Michael and his angels fighting against that old dragon and his angels. So this is the face-off. Now, of course, Michael's going to prevail because you're not going to be able to take God off of his throne. God's a creator. And it's funny how that man often tries to replace God and take him off his throne. Man replaces God with himself. Man replaces God with his religion. Man replaces God with, with the concept of atheism and evolution. Man, rep- man seeks to try and replace God with so many things, just like Satan did. And it makes sense because the corruption of Satan is to replace God. And thus we enter into the same perdition that Satan faces because we're rebelling in a similar fashion. We replace God with our passion and desires. And so we see it didn't prevail. There was no place found for them any longer. He said, so the, the great dragon was cast out. That old that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. These two words, Satan meaning the accuser of the brethren and devil meaning slanderer. So he's a slanderer. He's, he, he, he builds up a lot of false speech and lies about you with hateful words. And he's an accuser, constantly accusing you. And his point is to deceive the whole world. And needless to say, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So he was cast down to the earth, which is then where you find the, the entrance of Revel- or Genesis chapter number 3. After Satan had lost that battle, as you can see that barrier between God's warning to, to Adam not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan understanding that warning that as Satan loses his battle and is cast down to earth, and in Genesis chapter number 3, the temptation comes to Eve. That's because Satan is sought to destroy God by destroying his creation, by trying to rule over it with his wicked means. And so he draws, like he drew those angels unto himself with his tail, he draws man unto himself with his voice, in the deception of temptation, and that's where you have the fall, after he's cast down to the earth. And we know that Adam is 130 years old. That's when this battle, that's when this whole mess going on in heaven was taking place between the creation of man and his fall. And he says that, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, I've got to be done at this point. But we will pick up in Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 10 tomorrow. We'll do an overview from verses 1 to 9. Then we'll pick up at 10 because this this is just amazing stuff. This is just an awesome chapter. And I know I was talking really fast. I'm trying to fit it all in. But just listen to the video two or three times and take it all in because you really get the whole timeline of history when you look at Revelation 12. And specific events that you don't find revealed anywhere else in Scripture, but that that tie together events that happen in Scripture and make them understood as to why they happened, such as that point between Revelation 2 where 
where man was told, don't eat of this tree. And then Revelation 3, it's the very temptation that Satan would bring unto Eve, not Adam, but unto Eve, and, and then the fall of man. And you understand, it's because Satan lost that war, was cast down to earth, and so he tempted the creation of God on the earth to be able to draw man away by, by pulling him with his tail just like he did that third part of the angels that thought they were going to get a victory and discovered you can't beat God. Priceless. Priceless. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day and ask that you will watch over us that we may finish the rest of this day well and honor you, our King, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. I'll catch you tomorrow for the finale rally of Revelation chapter number 12. Take care, guys.